Fireside Chats, a weekly show featuring conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and outdoor hospitality experts who share their insights to help your business succeed. Hosted by Brian Searle, the founder and CEO of Insider Perks, empowered by insights from Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. Um, Super excited to be here for our last episode of this year of this group of people. Is that enough of a tongue twister? But we just came back with like from a whole bunch of conferences. And so I have all kinds of things we can talk about there if we get bored on the show. Also, during the intro, guys, and I didn't say this before when we were backstage, I just decided like when when it said like the host is Brian Searle, that's not enough. I think my 2024 goal is to make a clone of me in AI that's like a good, bad version of me that sits on the shoulder, right? Like the devil and the angel. And then it can just argue with me on the show when I say something ridiculous that can correct me automatically. Cool. I think that'd be interesting. Maybe not. I don't know. Mike left. He just left. He was like, I'm out. That's, he hated that idea. Well, I yeah, almost did too, but. It was no, really I'm strong. Like, that's a really strong reaction from Mike. I don't know. He, he just bailed. Yeah, he didn't want to say like, no, you're wrong. I don't want to see that. Like he just boom, disconnected. Hopefully Mike will be back. But welcome uh, for our current panelists here. Scott uh, Baird from Cam Consulting. Super excited to have him. It's his second time on our show as a recurring guest. So we're going to do all kinds of amazing research reports for Modern Campground. We're gonna, we delayed that until January because I was too busy and Scott was too busy and we want to make sure we roll out. So super excited to do that in 2024. Uh, Casey Cochran from Camp Spot as always. And maybe, like, I don't know, somebody should call Mike and make sure he's okay. Like. Uh, maybe I really offended him and he's not going to come back. <laughs> anyway, but so what do we got, gentlemen? I, and I know we want to talk about a little bit about KOA's research report. Casey, let's give us, you know, Scott wasn't at any, right? I, Scott's too busy and too important in his, do you have a private jet, Scott, now that you just don't travel to yeah. the conferences? And he's a big wig, so he didn't go to any conferences. I'm kidding. Um, we'll love to see you though. But Casey, what was your take on some of the conference? You went to one conference, right? Oh, hi. Yeah, I went to Ojai and then I went to the, the Yogi Symposium. And yeah, I think Ojai is, was good. It was a lot of vendors and, and they had some good panelists. We, we did a, a speaking session on kind of some of the differences between hotels and, and campgrounds and some of the things to pay attention to. Uh, obviously, a lot of hotel uh, people coming into the space and rightfully so. What, what are some of the lookouts and some of the kind of key differences in terms of the way we look at campground inventory versus hotel industry? So that, that went well. And then overall, it's a good opportunity for us to meet with partners and, and meet with people that we're working with and even some prospective buyers and show them who we are and what we do and where we are in the industry. Well, Yogi Symposium was great. That, that, that was a lot of fun, a lot of cool things going on there. But then the rest of my team, I think I was gone three out of four weeks in November. So I gifted some of the other shows to much more willing and able bodies than myself in my old age. So they were, they were glad to get out and do some traveling. I wish I could do that. I don't know why people want to see me at these shows. It makes no sense to me. I'm not interesting at all. I have, I have nothing to say. I'm going to send Scott, will you go next week for me or next year for me to all the shows? No. Man badge. It'll be fine. 
I purposely stayed away from a lot of them. Just Casey was just talking about it gets the month of November is so jam packed. And you obviously know Brian because you were at all of them. Almost. I didn't get to Picoa. Almost. Oh, okay. Okay. Almost all of them. And they asked me to come, but it was like literally I would have had to hop a plane and go there. But yeah, like it was really interesting to see all the different conferences and stuff like that. I'm really getting nervous. Like the more we go, that I really did make Mike upset, but maybe he just lost it. Her head She's backstage there. Oh, Sandy's back here, but she won't turn on her camera. Sandy's here with us. She supposedly, and I say supposedly because we don't really know. Like she says she has a stomach virus and that she doesn't want to be on camera. And I, believe, I want to believe you, Sandy, but in the age of AI, you could be anybody. Like, <laughs> that's true. No, that's that Sandy. No one's replicating that voice that way. Yeah. Fair point, perhaps. But yeah, so it was really interesting yeah. to go to conferences. And I want to hear, I think I want to hear from Sandy, you went to conferences too. So give us your take on some of the conferences first, and then I'll, then we'll pivot. I thought everybody was doing a really good job this year. I thought some were more interesting than others. Definitely the Arvic conference with them becoming OHI was a big surprise to a lot of people and created a lot of buzz. That was interesting. I thought it was really great having Paul Bambi on the podcast. So that was interesting that we got to actually have him on with us. Yeah, I thought that, I think for me, one of the most interesting things I see happening in the industry based off of coming away from the conferences and having conversations with a lot of parks is what is happening with the merging mm. of uh, camping and glamping. And just redefining some of those, that terminology, because you still have so many campgrounds and even campers that use the term glamping to mean they're staying in an RV. And Scott and I have even talked about this in the past. It's interesting because the language has evolved, but not altogether. Everybody's not on the same page. So I'm having a good time watching that. That was my big takeaway. I just want to welcome Mike back. Mike, like I introduced the show and I was like, we're going to have a clone of Brian. And you were like, disconnected immediately. <laughs> you mean, you know, little technology issues. You had to get a Santa hat on. To be clear, one of me is very scary. So I understood and I wouldn't have been upset. Two of me is world ending probably, but. But I'd say, ask him to ask Scott, you were talking about some data reports. We send out a, a market trends report to all of our, our park partners and things of that sort. And that granted, we're just one sample size, so it's not the, the full industry, but a decent si sample size. And, and Sandy, you, you're coming off of there thinking about the merging of kind of glamping and, and things of that sort coming into this space. A lot of the data that we have are showing is, is, is really the, the largest decline has been in the glamping space. Scott, I don't know if you're seeing kind of similar things in terms of occupancy numbers with the data that you're running in terms of uh, that, that space itself is so growing, but in terms of where that's from really October and on in terms of occupancy overall, to some extent, year over year is declining a little bit. I think that's to be expected. Rev passes up, ADRs are up for most parts, but have you seen some of that in some of the trends in the reports that you're looking at? We're looking at, I don't know, maybe 23, 2400 park sample size, but obviously it's a different trend, different mark report from what, what you guys are probably seeing. What basically what we're seeing is the summer peak season numbers were down. And they, I think overall, you're, you're going to see a leveling off a bit, but the fall was good, the, especially October. Anecdotally, at least we've heard 
that the October figures and even into November were pretty strong. So it, it seems like there was a little bit of a shift this year. Some the bad weather, especially like here in the Northeast, it was really, we had a really bad June. It rained all but four days. And it was hot um, in a lot of places too. Really hot. It, you know, people were changing up their views a little bit on, on their accommodations and what they want. I think in the glamping sector too, just the proliferation of the smaller glamping provider too that may not even hit the radar. I've seen some of the reports and I know there's two, two glamping providers in the area I live that don't make it to the list. Yep. And they, and I just actually spoke with one of them last week. I did an interview with them and they've, they it just doubled their capacity. They've been so busy, but their busy time again was this fall. Oh, okay. I was having an interesting conversation too with some of my part east where of them, some of them are open year round, but they see a downturn in the wintertime because people choose to do more glamping, which tends to be more indoor than RV camping. And they were wondering if that was actually adding to some of the, the increase in what they were, the well, the decrease in some of their units being rented and the increase in people going to other locations. I think this is honestly, and I've talked to so many different people from small to large to big over the last year and longer. I think it really just is market specific, accommodation specific, how you're marketing, what's setting you apart. We've talked about the experiential aspect of it, right? I think the reason that none of us can pin it down is because it literally is park by park, state by state, month by month. And I think the big difference is that there's just not as many people camping. There's still a lot, right? The industry's fine. But I think that thinning of the herd even slightly is causing people to realize that we just can't put up a campground like Field of Dreams and they'll come. And so I think that's why we're having trouble tracking down exactly what's happening in a pattern. But I, data guy. Yeah, I think the market's normalizing more than anything else. Uh, I think if you look at, as Casey had mentioned, the numbers that they put out, that's probably the best indicator because it's a national indicator, right? And that has a mix of parks, small, large, national park, transient, long-term, and that I think is an overall health indicator. And I think from a, if you look at a majority of the parks and throughout the U.S., they're hitting their down season, right? Where parks in the Southwest and the South and the Southeast, they're hitting their busy season, right? Without regional data, it's harder to say, but it's going to be regionalized. But I think the best overall indicator is an aggregated number, if you will. It seems it definitely, we've seen pick up in pace in, in Q4 for sure, but as almost in alignment with camp spots, we're driving occupancy at expense of a little bit of rate, um, just to make sure you, you capture the business. There's still the concerns about the gas and the economy, but I think the national indicators is helpful. I don't have anything to dispute that, but again, Scott might like Scott's the data guy. Like I just speculate wildly and say whatever comes out of my mouth. And then Scott's here to be like, no, Brian, you're wrong. No, by my, my view, it, it's very in, in line with what you're saying. It's, we've seen some fluctuations. The localized stuff is obvious. I was at a outdoor economy summit here in Maine last week, and I spoke to some operators, both of campgrounds and glamping parks and the campground operators were mirroring what I had spoken of earlier about the later in the season that one, one person said that they closed too early that they had all these people still wanting to show up here in Maine. Some places close in September 
Yeah. Um, and, the, and the other uh, park decided to stay open later with, with just the skeleton crew. And they he said they were full up until the day they closed. It is localized. It definitely is localized. There were some things happened here that are, again, the weather, I'll go back to that, help. But we did see in our research that we tracked throughout this last year that the guests themselves were delaying their trips. The, uh, the crowding of the previous year, even if they didn't experience it this year, it was still in their minds and it was, they were still projecting out. And what we saw is people delaying trips and shortening the booking window yep. because they were waiting to see what would happen because they didn't want to experience that again. Yeah, we're definitely seeing a rise in last minute bookings compared to even years past where people are, I'm sure there's a combination of inventory being available later and being able to do that as opposed to previous years. But then I think in general, yeah, things like so are so relevant based on weather and just based on economy and things of that sort, as far as what can drive those things. All of a sudden you see a, a push for nice weather for a week and you didn't expect it. All of a sudden that entire area is, has a huge shift. Whereas if a place that's getting a lot of snow early or whatnot, it's, it's going to obviously affect it. But, um, but definitely overall, like nationwide throughout all that, you, this year was definitely up significantly in terms of what you consider like a last minute booking, as opposed to even a couple of years past, even in those premium times when the occupancy was going up significantly, just seeing some more of that, which I think is also a good thing too, right? I think if people's perception of camping is that it has to be this thought out, an advanced planned activity, you're hurting, it uh, hurts the market, right? I think you need to be sporadic. I, mean, I don't play anything well, hardly anything that for a vacation standpoint, unless it's probably international more than, I don't know, maybe a couple of months. And so the traveler like that's me, that's the way I do most of my stuff. And so if I'm not able to use some of the camping experience kind of last minute, whether it's just staying in a cabin or staying in a glamping unit, I'd have to default to a hotel. Right. And I think there's some good into seeing that, that people are willing to do those last minute things because that's an important piece of the industry overall, in, in my opinion. Then to reflect on that, based on what Mike said to the, the resetting to the pre, pre 2020, that's, we've been doing this camping research for quite a while. And the, we looked this up recently that in like 2009, about a third of campers at least took at least one trip where they didn't make an advanced reservation. It's spontaneous. Last year, we were under 10%. And we just, we saw the decline. So it, it was real from, at least from our end, from the uh, survey perspective. But why do you yeah. think that was though? Do you have any data that, that shows why that changed? They both love, oh, j the overcrowding, just the, you know, all the okay. people out there. It was the people feeling the need. They were booking more than a year in advance. Some people are booking three years in advance. They're looking. I think also the, the ability to book in advance or to be able to book online for a lot of parks that didn't take, you know, don't take online reservations or haven't in the past. Again, this isn't the game spot play, I promise. But in terms of that, the fact that you can go on your phone and you could book something on your phone on the way somewhere based on availability and choose where you're going to stay, that's probably a pretty relevant piece of that is being able to conveniently book because there's a lot of campgrounds that still we've seen over the last four or five years that will speak to that. Hey, we have a lot of just off the street traffic that comes in and we want to have space for them. We don't want all of our sites to be booked, available to be booked online because we have a lot of people that just come through. Of course, in my mind, I'm going, why would, why would you take the guaranteed yeah. booking as opposed to leaving space? But there was that type of traveler that they wanted to 
accommodate to some extent because they wanted that that this be a place where hey, I know I could just stop off and, and go. So it'll be interesting to see how that either continues well, to play. To your point, Casey, we've been talking about training our customers because Scott, that same information you had from 2009, the demographic, the customer now is completely different, right? Technology has changed those millions and millions of new campers. And so we, we've had discussions like those old highway signs or a billboard, is that even relevant anymore? Who, who doesn't know before they get on the road where they're staying now, right? They're, they're planning their trips using their complete online app of they're mapping out from their destination from Oregon down to Arizona, et cetera. And so training the customers to Casey's point, I don't think it's a bad thing that lead time is shortening because you want them to know that, hey, let's go out on the road this weekend. And it's okay to do that, right? Where two or three, four years ago, you couldn't find a campsite anywhere because the campground industry hadn't exploded. All the national parks were full and educating that new segment to our industry is imperative. And so whatever platform they use, it needs to be available so that somebody can book immediately and can search for a campground. And so that's, I think, what's changed considerably. But how do we consistently educate those people? I think it's through what we're doing, whether it's the national organization or whether it's go camping, you know, Arizona.com or the California Outdoor Hospitality Association or the individual companies or camp spot with their marketplace, or it's the industry as a whole continues to become more and more savvy. And Brian, you've known me for a few years now, and I'm still touting eventually Marriott will buy one of these companies and the distribution will be immediate in terms of the accessibility to the uh, industry for everybody. Right now, it's a bit disjointed. Some people go to RV Parky, some people go to Camp Penn, Easy Share, Camp Spot Marketplace, whatever it might be. And for now, it needs to be everybody pushing the effort and all row in the same way. Eventually, it needs to be, I think, more focused. One of the things that we've seen, and this is, I, I can't quantify this yet, we will eventually, but it's the idea that, and this is through some of the qualitative research we've done recently, talking to campers and RVers in particular um, through long-term interviews. And this desire has popped up organically to, to take more spontaneous trips. And that kind of goes back to what we saw pre-pandemic. There's a large segment, especially within the RV sector, who like to just get on the road and say, I'm going to go to Yellowstone and just stop wherever okay. Along the way, that desire still exists that it's a somewhat older, it's more prevalent with a slightly older demographic, but that kind of freedom of the road, as they say, to go out there and have that kind of experience again, it's a little nostalgic as well. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit more of that pop up this year of people wanting to do that. I do feel like you mentioned Campanian, for example, where people can find dispersed camping sites and stuff like that via those avenues that allows for that more spontaneous um, experience as well. And I do think too that during COVID, we changed some of the ways that we operated because of the demand. So we made our cancellation policies tighter. We made our deposit policies bigger because that, and so those things changed. And so now what we've still got We've got occupancy, but we've still got those two policies in place that I think are actually working against it. And so one of my recommendations to parks is don't lower your rate. You've achieved that now. That's what the guest knows. Change your cancellation policy or something like that first, because a lot of people, they do want to take that last minute trip or 
they want to plan it, but because of the economy or whatever the other reasons are, they're not willing to book six months in advance because the, the cancellation policy is so tight or the deposit is so high. And, yeah. and education-wise, these are things that parks can use to market to their already existing customers to say, hey, come, come and see us. We're offering you a reduced deposit rate and more cancellation, better cancellation policies to begin educating people because that's really what they think still. They think we have high demand, high occupancy, and they're going to have to make these plans so far in advance and risk so much that they're not even attempting to do. Yeah, that's a good point because we noticed two things on that. One was we did a feature set with called Sensible Weather for Weather Guarantee and for the parks that have opted into that. You can spend a little bit of money and if it rains a certain amount, you get, you get your money back and it's pretty wild. The cancellation rate, how much that's lowered for the people that have adopted the, the weather guarantee aspect of it. So people will still go camping. I mean, it's supposed to be a crappy weather. Cause they think well, if it does rain the entire time, I'm going to get some of my money back. And that was really the goal with that was to, to get people used to saying weather isn't guaranteed. Right. But the, you know, the fact that it isn't guaranteed shouldn't affect you canceling your trip last minute go. And a lot of times it ends up being 60 and sunny and or 70 and sunny and you would have canceled for no reason. But I think the other thing that, you know, as far as what we can do with our part in this, in terms of help curb cancellations with a space that is somewhat dependent on weather sometimes is adding a thing called, we use a thing called camp credit. And I don't know, Mike, if you use that or not, but we've had some good success with that where you, instead of refunding them or not refunding them because you have a really severe, or I shouldn't say severe, but you have a strict cancellation policy you can give them their money back, but you give it back to them in the form of a credit at the park. And so for some people that works, right? If they're from the area, hey, I'm going to give you hundred percent of your money back, but it's just going to be used here at the campground as opposed to a 50% cancellation fee and, and putting the other 50% back on their card. This is going to open up some ways to say, again, you want to lower cancellation, but you also want people thinking that they can book last minute with availability. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with Sandy. Our cancellation policies are considerably more flexible than most everyone else intentionally, right? We want to be easy to do business with and we don't want people to be scared, you know, that they, if they book six months out, they're screwed, right? And we want them to have flexibility. So I'm fully aligned with Sandy and, and what she's saying. I think parks and until the demand shows you that you can, you got to flex your business ball a little bit to make sure that you're adjusting to what the demand says. Well, and I will say this too, right? Let's look at this from the owner's perspective. And there are a lot of owners who do this because they are also scared and uncertain about the future, right? They put these policies in place. Again, everybody's opinion is different. I'm agreeing with you, Mike and, and Sandy too, but they put these policies in place because they're worried that something could change in six months or the economy could be bad or, and they don't know how to recoup that stuff even two months out, right? Because they're not they don't know all the marketing. They don't know how to get people on social media. They don't know how to run Google ads. They don't know how to optimize their SEO. And so they're uncertain of if something shifts, how do I gain that back? And so they need or want, probably mostly need more of that security than people who run larger, efficient, right? Or who know all the latest marketing tactics or whatever. Is that fair? Does that make sense where I'm trying to go with that or? Speculation, sure. Sure, yeah, I'm not trying to defend yeah. the policies or say that, again, I agree with you. I think the cancellation policy should yeah. be more flexible. But I think that, again, if we're all 
we're circling back to education, right? They're both for the consumer and for the owner. There are ways that you can do this while still protecting yourself. And there are ways that you can get that customer back if they were to cancel while still being flexible. It sounds like an AI blog to me. Maybe. I'll get that done. You will or AI will? I'll use AI to do it. There you go. I, I, we have, I'm sure we have a topic. Have you searched our blog, Mike? I'm sure you have a topic. Or we have a topic on that somewhere in our blog. But Shara reminded me in the back end that I need to thank our sponsor, Fireside Accounting, which is a wonderful partner we've had since I think the beginning of the show. Maybe not the but like at least last year. So they're a great accounting firm located in Colorado. Lindsay Foods runs them. And there's a huge value, as I'm sure everybody on this show will advocate for, to having somebody do your accounting who knows the industry, who knows the numbers, who knows all the deductions you can take, who knows the kind of ins and outs of every way you can advantage, take advantage of all those things in a legal way, right? Of course. But I, I think there's a huge advantage to that. Lindsay and her team do a great job and we're super grateful for their sponsorship of the show. So if you're looking for somebody like that, just around the corner from tax season, guys, which is the best Ooh. year for everybody. <laughs> We're all looking forward to that. But you'll be looking forward to it more if you have somebody like Lindsay on your team. So check out Fireside Accounting. That's my off-the-cuff pitch. But I do okay. really believe they're a great company. Where were we? Sorry. I don't know. I don't know. We might be on to the next subject. What's the next subject? I'd like to talk. I, I feel like we're having a good conversation about data here. So I want to give Casey... You and I have talked about this briefly, trying to get Michael on the show, and we certainly still will try to do that. But Shara, who's in the background, is like an excellent podcast booker. We're like booked till February or March or April or something crazy like that. I think you tried and you said that you didn't have, you had your six months out or something. Yeah. So I don't understand how she does such a good job, but I'm grateful for her. But uh, so let's, can we briefly talk about some of the findings from there? Or do you just want to save that for Michael? No, I think in, in, in theory, again, when you look at, honestly, Mike Harrison is going to be as, as good of a, <laughs> a knowledge for something like that coming from the hotel space. But I think in general, a lot of the way that you look at hotel inventory and the way that books up, a lot of that is based on the corporate traveler. That, that's a significant portion of the way that hotels book their inventory is, is through corporate travel. And, that, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but has that shifted now though, with the decline in business travel because of COVID? I know it's recovered some, but. I think it's maybe it's shifted, but it's still the vast majority. Even from when I was traveling a lot for my previous job, I was a Marriott rewards person and I'm still a Marriott rewards person and I'm not traveling as much for my job anymore, but I'm still somewhat loyal to that kind of what stemmed from business travel at some point. Uh, and so that's just such a, a big part, I think, of, of hotel travel or what hotels rely on. And, and, and offer different rates, significantly different rates for that corporate traveler, as opposed to a standard traveler, whereas every traveler in the camping space, they're looking at typically the same pricing, regardless of different situations or whatnot. So uh, just a different mindset of who, who that audience is, even though the same type of person is going to camp and they're going to stay at a hotel, the way that you look at inventory and how, how you push that out is completely different because it's almost hundred percent leisure in the camping space and hotel space. It may be less than 10% leisure and the rest of it is, is some sort of business. Now, I don't know, Mike, if coming from your space, I mean, I don't know if those numbers line up with what. Yeah, I think they're two very different industries. However, people try, Michael did that white page on how's the hotel and the RV that's industry. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Similar and different. And he did a great job and I think there are a lot of differences and there are a lot of similarities. Our entire management team for our management company comes in the hotel business. And I think it 
it gives us an edge because, you know, we're 25 years ahead of the RV industry and technology and revenue management and sales and marketing and digital and brand standards, et cetera. But at the same time, industry, Mike, most of the campground, most of the campground industry. I'm so sorry. My apologies for offense, my, my arrogant hotel self, but the outdoor hospitality, I think is far more evolved in terms of the hospitality aspect, what the hotel industry used to be. 30, 40 years ago, the personal touch, the experience, the experiential hospitality. And as more and more of the RV and campground and glamping adopt some of the hotel hospitality edges, I think there's really huge opportunity. I'm very excited about the space. And to answer your question, I think the biggest difference that we're finding is it's not a hundred percent leisure, Casey. If you think about the hotels, there are corporate people classify them. There's a corporate hotel, a group hotel, a convention hotel, a transient hotel depending on where you're right, city center, or if you're urban, et cetera. And I think the campgrounds are very similar, right? If you look at the campground in Florida, that isn't necessarily hundred percent transient. It's probably 80% annual, right? People have park models, they put their rigs yeah. there and it's very minor transient. We have three different properties in Arizona and the mix on all three are completely different based on where they are and what we offer. And I think it's a good discussion because what we found in the industry is that a lot of people and a lot of the management companies approach it from one size fits all, right? And it's not, your mix is going to be different and your amenity set and your delivery and your service and your approach has to be different at each one. And yeah. one property we have where we're going back old school and doing some of the contract business, construction workers, traveling nurses, that kind of stuff to build occupancy, if you will. So I think it really depends on the market and property specific that you're in for what your mix is going to be, so to speak. And I think I'm not trying to plug camp spot, but the signals report that you guys have for the comp set data is very helpful and indicating, are you right or wrong? Are you leaving money on the table or are you maximizing? How are you compared to the comp set and your ancillary per spend? Is your mix right compared to the comp set? Is your rate and your occupancy? So those are all good indicators to tell you, you know, are you making the right revenue decisions? I could go on for forever on data analytics, as you all know. So I'll pause well, that. I think here we talk about some of the unknowns for the owners. We don't want to go back to cancellation policies, but that's some of the unknowns is they don't know where to get that data or if they do have it through a camp spot or a new book or a whatever, right? They don't know how to understand it like you do, Mike, or some of us do. And so I think that's, there needs to be greater education around how to, and we had these conversations at some of the conferences too, is how do I get that data to park owners in a way that they can consume it easily instead of learning to understand how to navigate Google Analytics or CampSpot Analytics or whatever data tool that they're looking at, right? And all of us certainly who have experience with analytic, Google Analytics say that it's easy. Casey will tell you CampSpot's easy. Mike will tell you CampSpot's easy. But like for when you're coming at it from a brand new perspective and you have no idea what any of these numbers are, you've never looked at them before, you've never used this platform before, I think that's the unlock to really educate some of these campground owners to make more, better informed decisions based on their data is how do we get it to them in a way that they can. Yeah. I, I think, you know, and I, and I had shared this, you know, with some of the Ojai people, uh, I think a considerable change in the educational sessions at all of these conferences, whether they're the state or the national needs to be in data analytics reporting, because that's where the industry is going. And I, 70% of the people I talk to are coming into this space from multifamily hospitality. And they're all saying the same thing, which is what I said to Casey, I think three years ago, three and a half years ago, there's no star report. Like, how do you tell, I'm not going to say I take credit for the signals report yammering. We need data, right? And so they're finding the same thing. And so I think 
the more we get the information out and we share with owners, managers, and so that there's a common semantic of what the right indicators are, but that's not coming in the next two months. That's probably not in the next year, right? It'll probably take a couple of years to get to that point where there is a common one or two reports, just like the star report in the hotel industry. It wasn't always the star report, right? That was, that's what it's evolved to. So there's going to have to be that same thing in the RV industry where people can pull out their report and say, Hey, what does X say? And, and it will just become part of what the culture is, but there has to be that education through, I think, you know, the conferences and through webinars and people who don't learn will be left behind, but it's, it's going to be on them. Yeah. And that's ultimately the harsh truth that like, I, I believe that too, but I also feel like it's maybe not my responsibility, but my want and desire to try to be sure. as many people as I can. That, that's why we're all on this call. We don't get paid for this stuff, Brian. I'm not a, a paid you sponsor. You oh, was Casey get paid? We forgot. Casey. Casey get paid. Paid. I have to send Scott a thousand dollars a week to make it. Uh, no, get, but you're, you're right. We, we are all aligned that our mission is to serve and to educate. That's why we do all these things. So we're in the same place. You can lead a horse to water so much and, and they've also got to take the step on their own. Yeah. And it's very true not to paint a, a, like a, any type of negative picture, but you have the tools, a lot of the tools that are there. And it's one of our big our big missions this year for the end of the year and through Q1 is, is helping the parks understand those tools and um, trying to automate as much of that to, to make it part of the daily or weekly or even monthly or even quarterly process to just look at some of these, these things um, that are tools that are there for you to help benefit the park or your organization or the group. And it starts there, right? You get enough people looking at that. Then it's, then that's how, how you continue to evolve it. You have enough people looking at it and say, okay, now what's the next step? What's the evolution in this to keep, keep providing? Because again, it's all anonymized data, but it's data specifically for this space. And so I think that's, what's, that's, what's relevant to keep pushing the industry forward. There's a, there's a reason why the hotels to some extent said, Hey, this, there's a common good here, right? There's a common good for all of us to understand where we all are in some capacity and then there's but there's also a big difference <laughs> campgrounds are so different than a king bed or two queens all within a city block and all above a three star right there's so much variation from campground to campground and the amenities there so there's that element in there that's super relevant to keep in mind i think this is already and i want to hear your thoughts on this stuff but i think this can already be solved right and, and i think the only limitation here is and I don't want to be like, I'm the AI guy, right? With egotistical, like I'm the, but it's, I think it's literally my time. Like I, I, my available time and I, the way I see it in my head, and certainly there's going to always be a need for in-depth research reports for the people who dive into the analytics and things. Right. But in my mind, it needs to be communicated in an easy condensable, like all these guys are busy. So in the morning, I don't know if you guys remember when Alexa first came out and I hate Alexa, but. When it first came out, there was a really cool skill you could program with some of the news channels on there where you could favorite them in the app. And then in the morning, it would read you your custom news from the channels that you liked. Does anybody remember that? Anybody use that? I think I remember something. I never used it, but it was useful, but then it would go on for three to five minutes and it wasn't, it was customized to your network, but not really the news you wanted anyway, whatever. But that's the idea, right? I think eventually there needs to be something where I can build some kind of a data pool that pulls from just camp spots API because they're on the call, right? Or from Mike's perspective, from all the data and analytics we have from his Facebook page or from Google analytics or for whatever. And in the morning, you can literally say, 
give me my morning brief. And it will pull all that data that happened since the last time you pulled it, run it through AI and say, here is your brief of what has happened and what you need to know for today. Here's how many people are checking in. Here's how many. That's the answer. And I think it can be done now if we had enough resources to do it. Yeah. Depending on what your view is, if you want like a, yeah, you, know, you want Arnold Schwarzenegger reading it to them in AI with that voice or something. Or we have like yeah. a, it's totally yeah, like a, daily, yeah. a daily manager report that, that does tell you all that. How many arrivals you have today? How many have tomorrow? How many check-ins? How many check-outs? Well, just, Casey, just curious, what would that sound like in Arnold's voice? <laughs> I thought about going down that road and I was like, you went down the arrivals today. Get out. That's a pretty good impression. I like that. Yeah. Can you talk about the rest of the show? I think that would, I, I, I you, no. like the thousand dollars I was going to send Scott, I'll send you. Yeah. I mean, I'm, and I was ready to unveil my Arnold. So. Brian, I don't think we can do that today because you don't have all the data. You don't. True. Yeah, well, I, I do have APIs. Like you're right though. Cause I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Casey, but I think most reservation systems, APIs, including camp spot are primarily intended to do booking through, not pull reports through. To some extent, a combination of both. Like, yeah. Yeah. You could point, if you created something, any park, of course, they choose this. They could point any data set from analytics into any program and you can point it there automatically. Any report or custom report that you want, hypothetically, you can build and cancel analytics and you can point it and schedule it to get sent to whatever file format or whatever program you want that feeding into. In, could I in pull it in real time? Right. Yeah, so if you want to run it hourly, you could schedule it to run hourly or every 15 minutes if you really want. So then the data is available, right? It's just no, it's, it's available. It's not available from everybody you'd need it from available. Right. Right. So, so let's hypothetically, we've got the reservation system. We've got all the marketing analytics and tools. What else? Who else do we need it from? You're you saying need it per park basis. You're not saying as an industry, you're saying, saying on a per yeah. park basis. And so, so you'd have to, be, let's say you, you pulled the market of Arizona, right? I don't know how many parks are in Arizona, if it's 500. But you'd need 500 parks or even if it's 400 to say yes. No, please. I'm not talking about a star report. I'm not talking about a star report. I'm talking about a briefing on today's campground stuff. He's saying for your part, for Coachella. What do I need to know is yeah, that. Yeah, I, I get that to CampSpot. I can subscribe to a report. Of course. And but that's it, not easy. That's easy for you, Mike, but that's not easy for most of your GMs and most of the staff at, at all these parks around the, the United States. That's easy for me. It's easy for Casey. It's probably easy for Scott. But yeah, that's what I I'm mean, saying. I guess that's part of our, that's part of what our due diligence needs to be is to prevent you from getting another side project on AI and us just to do things right and get them educated. No, because I, I think you're doing, no, I think you're doing them right. I'm not saying that. I think there's a, there's two use cases. There's how you have it done, which is wonderful and great, right? And needs to continue to evolve. And if you need a deep dive, you should be able to continue to go in and pull that data. I'm talking about the people who are not as yeah. tech savvy as we are. Or even if they are, right? If you can, then you can ask follow-up questions too, and that pulls real time from the camp spot data. I think it's just the same way as we have a blog, we have a podcast, we have social media, we have this show, we have whatever, and not just us, but people in general consume things in different ways. Some like audio, some like video, some like reading. We need to make that data available to them in multiple ways. Yeah. I'm sorry if it came across as I was criticizing anybody. I definitely wasn't. I'm offended. But well, no, I'm not at all. I'm just, no, I think you're right. That's a huge thing for us to, that we're focused on right now is how, how do you simplify things that aren't always necessary that simple, how do <laughs> parks looking at the things that they think they should be looking at. But then to be honest, there's also the layer of, if everyone was looking at the same information, how much more of an advantage of there. I think, I don't think that Mike, 
I think Mike is unique in this space where he will come on to shows like this and he'll go into seminars and he will gladly speak to what's working for his park and his, in his, um, portfolio confident in what the execution that, that they do, that's either different or confident in his execution in general, where he's not trying to hold the secret sauce to some extent, but I think a lot of people to some extent, right. will, I can say, I don't. I don't want to tell everyone what our trade secrets are because I'm competing with this and this, and I want to, I want to hold that near and dear to the heart. And a good example of this, we've had a lot of parks that have said, Hey, I'm not, I don't want our neighbor on camp spot because I, we're getting so many bookings from the marketplace. I don't want them listed on there because it's an advantage for us. And so those are like little nuances where, but I get that. I totally understand that. Like that, if you think you're getting a competitive advantage with something, what's the, why are you singing from the hilltops? Like I said, I think that's where there's, I'm not too this hornier, but there's a ton of, I guess I am like with Mike sharing some industry trade secrets openly is a big value to the space because he's taking what's really working really well for some beautiful properties. And he's sharing some of that information to help push the industry forward, not out of fear, but out of saying, Hey, if I can broaden the audience and camping in general, it's, it's going to help me, but it's also going to help everyone else. And, and the willingness to share that is, is super relevant. First props to sliding into the game spot marketplace thing. That was really good. If you have a competitive advantage, like fireside accounting, then you definitely. Yeah. I, I, there's truth right, to that. Right? That's our, well, there's absolutely. I know there's truth to it. It was just really nice. I have a, really a nice, specific like, right? example that uh -huh. I knew off the top of my head. Okay. I got, I had, I have four notes here that I'm trying to like make sure. All right, I, well, I got I'm, another I'm going to put, I'm going to go on like that. I'm going to just start. It was a poor example. What's something else I could come up with? It wasn't a poor example. It was good. I'm just saying I, it was a nice, it was, it was suave. Well, so, it was subtle until Brian pointed it out that it wasn't yeah, so. No, that's not. Thank you. I had to take advantage of it for fireside accounting. See, I got another one in. Scott, what do you think of all this stuff? You've been a little quiet over there soaking it up. Oh, no, I'm taking it all in. I, 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 to me, it's a great conversation. It's not just from, from my perspective, the whole issue with data, it's part of me feels like it's incumbent upon us as people who work in the industry, as industry experts, to try and find, to make the information more digestible, whatever it is. It's a challenge. Believe me, I've been doing it for more years than I care to admit. And it, it's, it's always that challenge. And I find the difference from person to person who I work with. Like one thing I will work with someone, they're like, this is fantastic. I totally get it. And then someone else will be like, well, this is not, I go, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's our ongoing challenge, but I think that it, it, it's a good I also feel that the, the market is way more sophisticated than it used to be in terms of understanding yes. information. We just have to pull them along a little bit more. Again, and try to do that. How much effort we do we put in? For me, a lot, because that's my job. But if you're, it depends what you're providing and how. But, you know, I'll use an example with my biggest sponsor, KOA. When we first did their campground-level surveys many years ago, 2003, we started it. And the first convention... They, each campground got their own report. And then I had the table set up and there was a line of, I don't know, every franchise wanting to know what it meant. Then the next year, the line was just as long so that they could tell me how wrong I was. Then the third <laughs> year, it was, what do we do? What do we do with this? And then after that, the questions were more, they focused them internally. And so it was, you could see the learning process. It just took taking that first step and putting it out there and getting people to, to start using it and understanding it. 
And I think that's part of pulling them along, right? Is part of that, not all of that, is making it as easy to consume as possible. I like we talked about my 2024 goals. My 2025 goal is to create a hologram of you, Scott, that anyone can summon, like summon Scott, and your hologram will appear yeah. and it can ask questions based on your knowledge. And right they'll next subscribe to, to it. Yeah, yeah, right next to the checkout. And they'll subscribe to it and then you'll make a bunch of money, Scott. But okay, that's what yeah. we want. <laughs> well, you should, I would think that your goal would have been to create like a 20 year Pappy Van Winkle in one year. That would seem to be a, a better goal for you, but I guess if you want to go a good idea, but I think it would be in such short supply, it'd probably be four thousand dollars a pour. Yeah, it's not even create it in a year. I think um, just yeah. on a different topic, not totally different, but I've just been thinking about something randomly to talk about this. Is Mike's point and the point that you also have made about the hotel industry? A lot of the research that we do and that we've done in hospitality came from the hotel industry. One of the most groundbreaking studies in the, the industry was done by Hilton back in the late 80s, early 90s. And it was how they designed their hotel rooms. And it was all based on choice analysis among consumers, among their guests. They designed their whole, all their suites, everything was designed based on this research. And this, what we did is we learned from that. We brought it over to other sectors and we brought that along with us now to the camping world. It's taken a little bit longer, but yeah, it's. There's a lot that can be learned built on that theme of learning from the hotel industry. Hilton had a, a, a new study up this year on trends and in, in what guests are looking forward to. They've, they've always been committed to doing the research. It's good stuff for, I'm just throwing that out there as a resource for people to look at and that's great. What other people are doing. I'm interested to see how quickly the type of learning we need to do shifts for right now. We're talking a lot about catching up to hotels, right? Which is an admirable goal. Right. And we know hotels are leaders in a lot of the spaces. I don't know if they're 25 years ahead, Mike. They're certainly ahead for sure. But it's interesting to me with how quickly things are going to shift. In my opinion, does the type of learning or what we're learning, like, is there a place where outdoor hospitality has a chance to leapfrog hotels in other areas? For sure. Could learn from outdoor hospitality. I, I think mentioned it earlier. Yep. Leapfrog. I think the, the experience, the customer experience. And Think about the experience that I, again, I keep going to this and, and this, we didn't have a side conversation, but like when I pulled into one of like parks, um, I, I wasn't greeted by anybody. I came after hours, but everything was laid out there for me. Perfectly fine. Um, I knew right where to go. Um, it was all cleanly, really easy for me to get in. And I was really impressed with necessarily the lack of employees that were necessarily there. But when I did have questions. I wanted to run, we wanted to run a pickleball paddle. Um, and we were going to grab some, we we're going to grab some cervezas there. So we went in and that experience that I had with his manager there was so pleasant. We learned where we we're going to go to dinner. We learned, Hey, that this paddle is not that great. Let me go in the back and get you one. That's done. Like that experience was tenfold to, I think what you get maybe necessarily from in some hotel instances, but Yep. I think what the key difference was not only the personnel, but what she was explaining we could do was so much better than what was in a hotel, right? We we're going out to these hot tubs that were out there. We're looking at the mountains in the background. We're playing pickleball. Tells us about the river that's there and the trails that are there. And oh yeah, there's an E, but that experience to me is a thousand times better than any experience I could get at a hotel. So you combine the two of taking back good, providing good customer service and providing that. But then you get to, it, you can 10X customer service when the experience there 
is 10 times better than what you're going to get at a hotel. Yeah. Yes. How much of that? And Mike, I want to hear, I know you're going to talk. How much of that is people and top down training as well? It's both. I think it's the outdoor hospitality offers something that's irreplicable. A hotel cannot copy a fishing lake in their building. A hotel lobby cannot copy the smell of pine when you wake up in the morning and you step out of your rig. The hotel cannot copy waking up to the birds chirping. And, and those things, th those are irreplicable. And I think if you couple that with the people, because the hotels have staffing challenges, the RV resorts have staffing challenges. But I will tell you what I have found generally is the outdoor hospitality is a little bit more slow paced and casual. And the, your staff tend to live on property. They love where they work. They're passionate about the place that they work. They take pride in where they work. And that isn't necessarily true everywhere, of course, but generally it's going to be more true. And if you look at reputationally, a lot of the campgrounds, I think, will if you, and this is a guess, and maybe Scott can do a study on this. If you aggregate Google scores of campgrounds versus hotels, they're probably going to be higher. People are, are more satisfied overall because you're in a more chill environment. And like we were talking, I think, Brian, maybe it was at the last modern campground. In a hotel, you get into the elevator and you try and avoid people. You turn away. You don't want to talk to anybody. In, a, in an RV park, you walk out on your porch and you got, you're in your boxers and your bathrobes open. You're drinking your coffee. Hey, Bob. Hey, John. Do you do that in a hotel? Can you imagine two people with their doors open and you're in your boxers with your coffee? That would never happen. So that that is what's irreplicable, right? You cannot copy that. I that don't know that I necessarily want to see stuff. Bob with his bathrobe open, but you haven't seen Bob. That's okay. true. If Bob, that's that's a community yeah. culture. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. But as a as a outdoor, whether it's a campground or glamping or whatever, it's that sense of community. People talk about that extensively, right? Yeah. Like you're not just gonna knock on the door of the person next to you and say, Hey, you wanna go get a beer? Whereas when you're camping, like you will know, see that. You'll people will just be there. You're amongst the people uh, and that's what a lot of people like about it, that atmosphere, that sense of community that, that they bring with them. So right. you've had the option to do that, but you don't have to do that. Correct. Yeah. And there are some people again, where I think the industry is evolving too, is people want a touchless experience, especially the younger generation. They don't necessarily want to talk to anybody at the campground. I want to check in late at night. I want an online check-in. I want to walk to my glamping unit. I want to pull up to my site and I want to do my own thing and check out. Right. And so that's where I think some of the industry is lagging behind and, and the PMSs now continue to evolve their offerings to make sure that you can make a seamless, excuse me, a seamless check-in experience that can be all and checkout that can be all digital. So yeah, I think, I think there's a word you're saying can is the key, right? Let it be available, but don't force it. No, a hundred percent. You don't yeah. have to, you can do either or. And the storage industry has gone that way, right? Which is very cold and sterile in some of those environments. So you don't want to lose the hospitality aspects, but you want to be able to provide that to the folks that want it, right? And there are other PMSs that did a study about particular demographics and what they prefer. And the digital and the online check-in is absolutely the Gen Z and the, the millennial version that has, we have to incorporate it at our own peril if we don't. That's a great point, Mike. I, I actually that because one of the things that we know is check-in is one of those um, points of friction for yep. guests. And if some of your guests are, are doing the touchless going right to their site, it frees the staff up to deal with what can be those backlogs at the front desk, which we know 
creates problems. So though, I, I think that solution is something that needs to be adopted sooner rather than later. And then you can provide hospitality to that guests later with your own touch points, create them. Especially if you're not spending time checking them in, your front desk person now has availability to talk to people about pickleball paddles, exactly. stuff like that. Yeah. Speaking of pickleball, it's taken over the world. It's I'm telling you, Casey, next time we're in person, it's you, me, Kylie, we got to find a fourth. And that was sad that we didn't get to do that. Brian, no. you played pickleball? Yeah, I played pickleball. I tried to buy nice shoes. I bought the same shoes as the champion pickleballer, and they didn't make me better. I don't, they must be broke. So, I have to switch them out for another pair. Must be the paddle then. You probably need to upgrade your paddle. That's, that is, that's probably true. I did not. I was going to buy a nice paddle, and my girlfriend looked at me. She's like, I'd say if, if, you, if you get out of the campground industry and you want to switch gears, a good industry to be in is in physical therapy. That's right. Because of how many people are going All the doctors, the, yeah, the, the orthopedics have seen a, a rise in. What's the, what's the next show? Is it Carvic in, in February? Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. Yeah, it might be. All right. So we're going to have to, whoever's going, Casey, from you guys, we're going to have to organize a pickleball game. I'll be there. Yeah. I'll, yeah, if we're going to play pickleball, for sure. Go. That gives me is it actually, is it Carvic or is it Kohai? Which is Kohai? Is it, can it be Carvic anymore? Because it's now Ohi. So is it Kohai? Oh. They're still Carvic. We're still AZ Arvic until we change it. I don't know how you would pronounce that. Azohai? Azohai. That, that sounds, that's got a good ring to you. It's not going to be Azohai. I can tell you that. We've already had that discussion. Right, well, <laughs> that's my vote anyway. All right. We got a minute and a half left. I want to hear your guys' final thoughts. But my, I think my takeaway here is, is that we just need to take stock of our resources and our information available to us. I think if you do that, then you're going to find out that you have really nice resources like our sponsor, Fireside Accounting, who might recommend that you look at your data from Cam Consulting and hire an RV Park Management Group like Sierra Hospitality, who will then put you on the Camp Spot Marketplace. And then wow. your neighbor can be jealous of you. Full circle. That was pretty good. Yeah. Almost. Any final thoughts you guys want to do in our last minute? Stay in our last minute. My, my only thought would be to let's keep an eye on what happens this winter. I just want to see how close we are in the participation in the winter campaign. I feel like it's strong and it's going to keep growing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we're very enthused and excited for the outdoor hospitality industry, both the glamping expansion and the RV parks. It's we're looking forward to an awesome 2024. I appreciate the opportunity to participate with all you guys at modern campground and fireside chats. Thank you. As well as might as well plug insider perks and the marketing too. You can't, we'll have to market our park to be on camp spot in the marketplace, of course, but thank you everyone. We, we wish everybody a happy holidays from CRR. Has anybody taken photos of Bob and put them on your site as a marketing tool with his bass reload? Um, yes. And they're five star, five star rating. I'm just asking. And, and then further to go past that, what about, does Bob go winter camping with his bathrobe open? We sell used bathrobes. If anybody's there's different. a 100% chance that a Bob AI with a bathrobe at boxer image is going to be set to you soon. Mike. And a cup of coffee. It'll be holding a steaming cup of coffee standing on a rig porch. Works <laughs> yeah, of the rig. Beautiful. Anybody thought yeah. anything? No, I think you guys summed everything up well. I will, uh, I'll leave with the thought of Bob and his robe and wish everyone a great holiday and uh, well done with the show this year. Uh, Brian, um, it's been really good information, maybe outside what I just said. Awesome. Appreciate all you guys being here. It wouldn't be what it is without you. Merry Christmas to everybody. We still have a couple more shows before the end of the year, but last time we're going to have this group together. Thank you guys. Appreciate you. And we will see you early in January.
Take care, guys. It's awesome. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Bye, See ya. Thanks for joining us for this episode of MC Fireside Chats with your host, Brian Searle. Have a suggestion for a show idea? Want your campground or company in a future episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Get your daily dose of news from moderncampground.com. And be sure to join us next week for more insights into the fascinating world of outdoor hospitality. Hospitality.